Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 well we finished a most amazing chapter in romans chapter 8 and now so many scholars have said chapter 8 is just one of the most glorious chapters in the bible it is the best chapter in the bible some would say and after you read it there is no question that I would agree with that for sure. There is so much assurance in our salvation. What can separate us from the love of God begins with no condemnation, ends with no separation. And I think that's a message that we need to hear today. Now when we get into Romans chapter 9, we're getting into one of the most difficult chapters in the entire Bible. In fact, some people that read through the book of Romans, they would just as soon skip over chapter 9 because some of the difficult truths that it brings out. And I think that as we approach Romans chapter 9, you need to understand that there is a reason God puts this in His Scriptures. There is no chapter that is not supposed to be there. Every chapter is there God-ordained, and we shouldn't be skipping chapters because they're difficult I think when we look at Romans chapter 9, it is like chapter 8 in the sense that it gives me great assurance when we talk about God's sovereignty. When we talk about His sovereignty, we're saying that God does what He pleases, that God has all power to carry out His will. It's easy to say, but sometimes we look at the Scriptures and we say, ah, I don't know if I buy into that. It doesn't matter whether you buy into it or not, it doesn't change the fact it's true. So you may as well come to grips and buy into it. And as we look at chapter 9, it's a glorious chapter as well. It may be difficult, but as we look at chapter 9, we're beginning a section really that is going to deal with Israel. It's going to deal with God's sovereign will in His workings within Israel. 9, 10, and 11. 9 deals with Israel's past. 10 deals with Israel's present. 11 will deal with Israel's future. And for me, we need to know that. Think about, some scholars would say that, that 9 and 11 is kind of a parenthetical chapter or section in the book of Romans. And it isn't parenthetical. It actually goes with the flow if you follow the thought of Paul as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 8, he does end with what can separate us from the love of Christ. What can separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul is now anticipating a question that would come up. Well, what about Israel? 
right? What about Israel, God's chosen people? Because at this time, we're looking at a church that is primarily Gentile. Even though the church began with the foundation of Jewish people as time went on, Gentiles flooded into the church and more and more Jews began to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so their thought would be, well, what about the promises of God to Israel? What about the promises of God to Israel? Has God failed in His promises? And this is important for you and me because if God has failed in His promises to Israel, then He's going to fail in His promises to us. Or what foundation do we have to stand on? And so this entire section is dealing with God's workings with Israel, but also applies with you and me in the scheme of salvation as Paul draws out some important, deep, and difficult truths. I think when we look at this chapter and really the section in general maybe, going into 10 and 11, but for sure chapter 9, the thesis would be verse 6 where it begins with, but it is not as though the Word of God has failed. Has God's Word failed? No, Paul's going to address that. Have the promises of God failed to Israel? Absolutely not. Their current rejection is momentarily. So I've divided this into three sections. We're going to deal with, first of all, Paul's sorrow over Israel's rejection. We're going to look at also, as we jump into verse 6 on, we're going to begin to see God's sovereignty in Israel's election. How He chose Israel and how His sovereign power and will brought forth Israel and the promises towards them. But then also we begin to see towards the end of the chapter God's sovereignty and Israel's rejection. I want us to see that today as well. How do you reconcile those two things? So first of all, as we jump in, notice Paul's sorrow over Israel's rejection. We see this in the first five verses. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So as we look at Paul's sorrow over Israel's rejection, we begin to see, first of all, that Paul's pain is personal. That's what those three verses are talking about. He's talking about the pain that Paul is experiencing as Israel has rejected the Messiah. So we see here in Paul there is a personal attachment, his unceasing anguish and sorrow over Israel is directly connected to these were his people, my kinsmen, my people, Israel, I am one of you. And we know through the life of Paul that he would always go into the synagogues first, no matter where he was. Even though he was an apostle to the Gentiles, he was bringing the gospel to his own Jewish people. And we began to see his sorrow and his pain is directly rooted to the fact that these are his people. I think one of the worst things we could ever fall into, the tragedies, is that we become indifferent towards those who are our own people. That Paul understands the lostness of a person without Christ. And he says, I'm not lying. I would rather be accursed than them. He understands the realities of hell. He understands the realities of living in God's blessings. 
But do we have this heart here? Do we have this kind of pain over our own family members? There's people living all around us. Do we, do we have this unceasing anguish that if they die without Jesus, they're lost for all eternity? And this pain that he has is real. He says, I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. This is a man who had a deep reverence towards God, understood the holiness of God. This is not hyperbole. He's not speaking in just terminology. He feels this pain for his own people because he was there. And his eyes were open to Jesus just like ours was. Remember just going to my father and mother and just constantly laying out the gospel because I wanted to be sure of their salvation. My brothers, my own family, even though they're saved, they'd say, you know, go preach somebody else. We're already saved. You know, the thing that we need to have is a heart of Paul for the lost. We should have this pain over those, those people in new creations that have come to Christ. You guys should have this longing for your parents and your siblings to come to Jesus, those that are around you. And so his pain is personal. It's, there's an attachment. Hey, these are my kinsmen. These are my brothers, according to the flesh. But his pain is also passionate. It's not just a sorrow. It's not just this pain. It is a passionate pain because it's as if he's saying, you guys, look, you were exposed to all the things of God. You're the chosen people. You were exposed to all these blessings and workings of God and seen all the miracles. How could you not come to Jesus? And so he begins to speak about all these blessings that they were exposed to. And in his mind, he's saying like, gosh, you've got it. They've been delivered to you. First of all, they've been given God's purpose. Look at verse 4. They are Israelites. They're the chosen people. And to them belong the adoption, God's purpose. That God said in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel, my firstborn son. Speaking of Israel in Hosea 11.1, 1, it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That this adoption that God brings them in for his purpose, that they had God's purposes, but they also had God's presence. Look at the next word there. That not only the adoption, but the glory. The glory, that was God's presence it's speaking of. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, that they experienced the presence of God like nobody else. Not only that, God's promise, the covenants, verse 4, keep reading, but to them belong the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, these promises that God has made through Abraham, through David, through the Mosaic Covenant. These covenants were delivered to them. These promises that God makes, they were exposed to them. This special people, not only that, God's principles. Look, keep reading with me. Not only the covenants, the giving of the law, the principles that God calls us to live by, they were given the oracles of God. 
God would say, this is the way life is to be lived. This is my, the law reflects my glory. The law reflects my intention for you. The law reflects exactly the path that I want you to live and want you to take. So all of these principles in Scriptures regarding who God is, His character, who we are, everything brought together, they were given that. But not only that, God's place, verse 4, the worship, the worship. Now that's interesting because it refers to the services performed in the tabernacle and the temple. They were blessed with God's place on earth where they met with the presence of the Lord, but they also serviced and served Him in God's place. That's why the Jews were required to go to Israel, to Jerusalem, no matter where they lived. Three times a year, they would have to make that journey to Jerusalem, to the temple. And so when we look at worship, that the Jews had a worship that was separate than anybody else because they served a God that was monotheistic not pluralistic. The Greeks and the Romans had all these different gods, but man, at God's place in His temple where real worship took place in the tabernacle when they were delivered. Not only that, but God's promise, uh, prophecies, as you keep reading, talks about promises there. All of these prophecies that were given in the Old Testament were pointing towards God's fulfillment, first coming of the Messiah, God's intention for them in the future, all these promises that were given through the prophets, they could hang their hat on because God would not fall short in His Word. And then God's patriarchs. Look at verse 5. To them belong the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were God's patriarchs whom God chose specifically founding fathers of their own religion. The patriarchs were given to them. They came from those patriarchs. They could always look back to Abraham's faith. They could always look back to the workings of God in Isaac and Jacob. And then finally, God's person God's person, this is Him in the flesh, it says, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, the Anointed One. That's the Greek for the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. I want you to notice that because some translations don't read that and point to Christ being God over all, but it certainly is. So they've got the incarnation, God in the flesh. She'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. And here to Israel, he was Jewish, descended from the Jewish line. The Messiah would come through them. How could they have all of this that God gave them and still reject God? How could they reject Christ? Everything in the sacrificial system was pointing to them. I think of sometimes it must be the pain that a parent feels where they bring their children to church and they expose them to the things of God. They have them in Sunday school. They teach them the scriptures. They come to Awana and they learn the things of God and they're exposed to everything that God has to offer. But then their child walks away when they get out of the house and they begin to walk away from the Lord, and they're not serving the Lord anymore, and the parents have the anguish that Paul does. How can this be, this passion? We've given you all of this in the faith. How can you not receive it? 
He's powerful. Franklin Graham and Billy Graham. Billy Graham preaching the gospel everywhere, all over the world. And Franklin Graham went down the path of drugs and alcohol. That had to break Billy's heart because he was exposed to so much with God. He was in church singing songs to God. He was in church hearing the Word of God and he walked away. Now he's returned and look what God's done with him. New creations, when we bring people into new creations, we expose them to the Word of God. They're part of church services. They're memorizing Scripture. They're learning theology. They're learning basic theology, things like that, Old Testament, New Testament. And they're exposed to so much with God. And when they walk away, we're like, how can you do that? You've had so much. And so Paul's pain here is not just personal, it's very passionate because of what Israel had. Now he moves into God's sovereignty and Israel's election because this is going to clear up some and confuse others on this. Is why is not Israel? Why Israel that's been given so much? How is it? That they can reject these things of the Lord. How is it that they can't just receive them in faith? I mean, everything was right before them. It was sitting right in front of their faces. How could they not receive that? And verse 6 says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Because God's word will never fail. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word will endure forever. God's word will never fail. But then what is it? So for not all, he says, who are descended from Israel, belong to Israel. He says just because they were Israelites, just because they were given the covenants, the blessings of God, the patriarchs, the promises of God, just because they were given all that, not all of them were of Israel. And this is interesting because it goes into this whole issue of, wait a minute, I thought Israel was God's chosen people. Well, yeah, they are God's chosen people. But their faith was not in the living God. And all through their history, they fought this. The point of verse 6 is that just because the overwhelming majority of Jewish people have rejected Christ does not mean that God's word has failed. And just because they're descendants of Israel does not mean they are right with God and that they belong to God. There's a difference between spiritual connection and physical connection. In other words, being chosen people is one thing, but being chosen by God is another. He's going to give two examples of this. Not everyone who's an Israelite. Not everyone who's an Israelite. Or from Israel is a true Israel. Do you have the faith of Father Abraham? So he brings up two examples. Patriarchs from the Old Testament before he gets into the prophets at the end of this, but the example of Isaac. He brings him up first, and the example of Isaac and Ishmael proves God's election doesn't depend on natural descent. In other words, when God chooses people, it doesn't depend on their family background. It doesn't depend on how they've descended. And he gets into this physical connection does not equate to spiritual commitment. And that's what he's speaking of there. Jesus dealt with the unbelieving Jews in his ministry, if you recall, as he went through Israel and he was showing the hand of God big time, doing all his miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit, but not all of them 
accepted that. In fact, there were many unbelieving Jews at the time of Jesus. They had a religion, but they never really believed. They did not have the faith of Father Abraham. So in John chapter 8, verse 33, we see where Jesus is in a battle with the religious leaders and they said they answered him we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say you will become free Jesus is bringing out their bondage and then in verse 37 he says I know that you are offspring of Abraham yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you just because you're an offspring of Abraham doesn't mean you've received the Word of God, and that you've lived the Word of God, and that you've walked in faith to the Word of God. In verse 39 of chapter 8, he says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. As if they have a free pass. As if they have a license to live the way they want to live, but because they're Abraham's descendants, they're okay. And so Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. You've heard this saying before, just because you're in McDonald's doesn't mean you're a quarter pounder. And we say it in church, just because you're in church does not mean that you're a Christian. Just because you're watching today does not mean that you're a Christian. There's got to be faith to what we believe intellectually. Has there been a heart that's been born again? Has there been evidence in your life that there's fruit that's coming out that proves that the living God is living in you? And so here Paul said, already addressed it in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The one who has a circumcised heart. Isaac represents those who receive the promise. And Ishmael represents those who reject the promise. And not all are children of Abraham, verse 7, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. So the promise was that Sarah would have the son, regardless of her old age. She was 90, Abraham was 100, but that was the son of promise. And so where you have Ishmael today, is you've got the Arab world descended from Ishmael. You've got the Jewish people that's descended from Abraham. And both will claim Abraham as their father. Muslims will say Ishmael is the promise, that he was the promised son, but that's not what the Scriptures teach. And so God shows up and He says, hey, Sarah, you're going to have a baby, or Abraham, you're going to have a child. And they were way beyond childbearing at that time. And so he's using that as an illustration that just because there's descendancy doesn't mean that you're a true one of God. So we cannot claim our familial line. We cannot claim that just because we belong to a certain family that we're going to heaven doesn't prove anything. 
There's been so many conversations we've had through the years with people and we say, well, are you a Christian? Have you committed your life to Christ? Oh, I was raised in a Christian home. That wasn't the question. Do you know Christ? Well, I was raised in a Christian home. I was baptized as an infant or whatever. And all these answers come forth, but there's no proof that there was this surrender to God, that there was this surrender to Christ, that there was no real faith there, but there was a familial line that they were dealing with. Paul's point, if it was summed up in this statement, if you were to make it into a t-shirt or maybe even a bumper sticker, it would say it's about grace and not race. It's about God electing. It's about not anything that you can do. It's about grabbing the promises of God in faith as Abraham did. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977